I don't know if you've ever been off route before or miscalculated your directions. Um, but I know that oftentimes, uh, anytime you go off route, especially if you have a phone that's doing your navigation or you have your little, uh, like he had Lola on his dashboard, it'll tell you, you know, please do a U-turn, please do a U-turn. Don't you hate that? Have you ever, like, gotten off route and your little iPhone or whatever tells you to keep going the wrong way? And you get very frustrated with it. Uh, I know that I've had that happen. Just keep telling you to recalculate. Uh, well, in life, oftentimes we have to do that. We have to recalculate, and we have to get back on track because uh, really, life is about us constantly navigating um, this. If you're a Christian, this thing called the Christian life, us centering our focus on Jesus and putting our hope in Him and our faith in Him. And it seems like there's so many things that distract us and so many different roads and routes um, that are different than Jesus and many opportunities to go different directions. Um, but there's always a, a, a pull, if you're a Christian, to, of course, stay, stay on route. And oftentimes we'll have little uh, Lola's, as it, he had, or our little navigation thing or our IMAP or whatever that will continue to tell us, hey, you need to get back on track here. Hey, you need to kind of reroute your life here a little bit. Um, sometimes uh, it, it does that to us, and oftentimes the voice of God does that to us, but oftentimes we can we cannot listen to the voice of God, do whatever we want to do, and um, and then find ourselves in a in a tough situation. I remember I was uh, we were just my first year of marriage. Uh, my wife and I um, were having a, a, a spout. We had been in a fight in the first year of marriage was very difficult. Maybe it was for you, but I know for us, we, um, it was a difficult year kind of adjusting to married life. And I was driving my little Honda Civic at the time, little beater car. And we lived in Florida and it rained and it was hot all the time. And I didn't have any air conditioning. And I remember I was driving in the evening and coming home from work. And the, I just got off the phone with my wife and we're like at odds with each other. And now all of a sudden, uh, it's raining, pouring rain, and I can't roll down the windows. I have no AC, and it's like 100 degrees outside. I mean, it's Florida. This happens all the time. And so um, uh, inside, my windshield got very steamy, got all steamed up, right? Has this ever happened to you? And so I, I could not see where I was going. My wipers are going, but I cannot see because the window's fogged up. So I grab a di- dirty T-shirt, which I conveniently placed in the seat beside me, um, which I have, you know, just for for spare reasons. Yeah, just in case. You never know. See, he understands. And so um, so I took my dirty T-shirt, and I'm trying to clean the window. And I guess there was so much dirt or grease or something on my shirt. It just was not It just was not coming clean. I just could not see. And I was rubbing. I was, just got so frustrated. I punched my window. I'm driving down the road, by the way. I'm driving down the road and trying to clean, and I punched my windshield. That's never really a good idea. Cause, and I actually broke my windshield. While I was driving, see, most people have like rocks and things that break their windshield. You know, no, I punched it and broke it while I was driving. And it just had this and just crack all the way down the side. And it was kind of a wake up call like, okay, Jay, what, uh, you got a problem. <laughs> you know, like, because you guys are thinking, yeah, that's pretty obvious. We all know you got problems, Jay. Um, but it was kind of a wake up call for me going, all right, I've got some issues some anger issues, and maybe I need to start actually doing something about it. And I don't know, if have you ever had that kind of wake-up call where you just kind of stop and you go, whoa, wait a minute, why am I doing this? 
why, why am I so off? Why am I so off route? You know, how, how did I find myself in this place? How did I, how did I get to here? You know, I didn't, you know, yesterday didn't, it seemed fine, but today it seems, man, I'm really, how, how did I get here? And um, today I want to show you, share with you a, a story of a guy who was very, very off route. And God brought him back to center and back to um, where he should be. And so I, I know for, for me, sometimes it's just little things. It might be something, it might be, hey, I'm an alcoholic and I hit rock bottom. And I find myself, you know, um, drunk again and not, not waking up, not knowing where I am or not knowing where my keys are. And you kind of go, man, I, I've got to stop this. And you have this waking realization and I'm way off route from where God would have me. But maybe it's something small. Like sometimes I have this, just these thoughts, man, I'm not being the dad I need to be. I'm not being the husband that I need to be. I'm not, I'm not connecting with Jesus the way I need to. I'm not connecting with others the way I need to. I find myself, maybe, maybe you're, you're isolating yourself. Maybe you kind of have that tendency. I like to isolate myself and kind of hide. And, and that's not healthy because you need people. And so you just, you, maybe it's subtle, but maybe you're off route. And I want to sh- share with you this story in Acts chapter 9 as we've been going through the story. The conversion of uh, probably the most second most famous person in the New Testament, which is, of course, Paul. His original name was Saul, and God changed it to Paul. And we find ourselves in Acts chapter 9. If you're just jumping in with us, we've been walking through the book of Acts. And this is where we find ourselves today is in Acts chapter 9. Last week we were in chapter 8. This week we're in chapter 9, verse 1. Let me read it to you. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath. He was eager to destroy the Lord's followers, so he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there in the way of the people who followed Jesus. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. Isn't that nice of him, both men and women? He was an equal opportunity persecutionist. Very, very good of him. As he was nearing Damascus on his mission, a brilliant light from heaven suddenly beamed down upon him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? If you have uh, one of those little navigation devices and it ever beams light at you and speaks to you, um, it's got problems. Um, so you might want to listen. So here is kind of that issue. Saul is traveling. He's getting ready to go to Damascus, another city just down the road from Jerusalem. And he's getting ready to go and persecute Christians there because the, the Christians, as we read in the last chapter, all, have all fled Jerusalem because Saul is causing so much Pain and heartache for the Christians. They're literally ripping people out of their homes, dragging them out of their homes, wives, women, um, husbands, out of their homes and putting them in chains in prison. Some of them torturing, some of them even killed Stephen. We just witnessed the last, in the last chapter, Stephen was uh, martyred and killed, was stoned to death. So, or in two chapters ago, he was, he was stoned to death. So, so people are even dying for their faith. And now he's on his way to go. He got government permission to go do the same, chase these Christians down because they're running away from him. So he's like, I'm going to go chase them down. And he was stopped by somebody with a bright light. Verse 5. Who are you, Saul? How, who are you, sir? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city. 
and you will be told what you are to do. The men with Saul stood speechless with surprise, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but they saw no one. As Saul picked himself up off the ground, he found that he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days, and all that time he went without food and water. Um, A major interruption in his life happened. Uh, A stopping point, a roadblock. He was on his way to persecute Christians. He's on his way to chase down these followers and put an end to this so-called Jesus movement, um, which the government was so ready to get rid of. And all of a sudden, Jesus meets him in the middle of the road and says, says, hold on, you're going the wrong way. You've got to recalculate. You've got to reorient your life. And um, Paul had a very uh, dramatic encounter with Jesus, so much so that it left him blind. Um, if, you're following in your, if you want to follow on the notes, I even put some numbers in there. I want to give us just five important, what I think are important things that we need to evaluate as we look at this idea of recalculating and reorienting our lives to be a gospel-centered people. And that's what we've been talking about through the list through this series called Gospel Life. Really, it's just getting us as people who are followers um, to the place where we're living a gospel-centered life, that we're focused on the mission of Jesus, which is that he came and died for you and for I, and that the gospel saves us as the very power of God, and that we be people who be centered on that mission and uh, centered on that. And so Paul was obviously against that. And he had a major encounter with Jesus. Number one, the thing I want us to remember is this, is that we need to allow the roadblocks in life to redirect us to Jesus. Have you ever found that sometimes when you're going the wrong way, God intentionally places roadblocks in your life, intentionally places consequences or issues or drama or something or illness to prevent you or to hurt you or to help stop you from continuing to do what you're doing. It's happened, it's happened many, many times to me. And my guess is it's probably happened to you. Maybe you, you thought, well, I just, man, I just got lucky. Maybe you thought it was luck. But I guarantee you it probably wasn't luck because there's no such thing as luck. That God oftentimes ordains issues, roadblocks in our life to redirect us. And I'm so glad that he does. I'm so glad that God puts barriers oftentimes in our life to keep us on track with him. Sometimes the barriers are very dramatic, like Paul encountered. He was blind for three days. Blind for three days. Can you imagine being blind? Just imagine that. All of, having sight your whole life, and all of a sudden having no ability to see. How, how do you feel when that happens? Lost, helpless, scared, out of, you know, out of control, right? And what Jesus brought him to the place of, very strategically, is a place of, I'm helpless. I literally cannot do what I need to do on my own. He lost what so many of us love, and that is control, right? So many of us try to control our lives and try to control the situations in our, in our life. But God oftentimes uses roadblocks in our life to break us of the issues that we're dealing with, to help break us of issues of control or things like that. 
Uh, I remember I was uh, taking a trip with uh, the youth. I was driving a 15-passenger van. I had uh, a couple of middle school girls that were sitting behind me in this, in this van. And, and I think I kind of ran into those little ridges on the road. You know, the ridges that are on the side of the road that when you hit them, they go, and you kind of get back on the road. You know, it kind of sounds cool. You're like, hey, this sounds cool. So you ride in it, you know. Um, so I, I, was, I hit that a couple of times. And I said, you know, girls, you know why they put those there, right? And they go, no, why? And I said, well, those are for blind people. So that whenever you're driving down the road, if, if you hit the, the blind person hits those ridges, it makes that noise. And they realize, hey, I need, to, I need to kind of redirect. And they're like, oh, I never knew. And, and it took them about half the trip, really. I mean, they were like, they were believing me for about half the trip. And then finally they, they realized, no, blind people don't drive. And they got, they got, they got mad at me. Um, but, but God does that in our life. He puts these little ridges oftentimes on the side of the road. Sometimes they're roadblocks, but oftentimes they're just ridges. Sometimes they're just ridges with which meaning like you're, you're starting a certain pattern in your life. You're start, maybe you're beginning to overwork and spend less time at home or spend less time with your spouse. And you be, find yourself just kind of in a pattern of working a little more and more and more in every day. And all of a sudden you, you, you have this thought or just this, this ridge kind of hits you, you know, just a reminder, man, you're just working too much. And you, you have kind of that option there. Do you recalculate and do you kind of pull back on the road or do you drive off the ridges right? And continue the path that you're going. And so oftentimes, I don't know if you're like me, but oftentimes I might ignore that. And instead of waiting, instead of waiting for just the ridges and responding to the ridges, I have to respond to the ditch, right? And so instead of responding to the early warning signs of what God was trying to tell me to do to recalculate my route, now I'm responding to something major. Now my wife is upset. Now my kids feel distant from me. Now, um, some, now I've, I've overworked at work and I'm burned out and I'm stressed and I'm sick or something like that. And, and that happens to us, right? And my, my poor mom, I grew up uh, with a mom who loved me very much. Um, but I was a very stubborn, hard-headed child. I'm sure some of you would have a hard time imagining that. Um, but I, I was an incredibly hard-headed uh, child. And, and my mom would say this all the time. Maybe she said this to you. She goes, son, you're just going to have to learn the, the hard way, right? And so many times I did. I had to learn the hard way, which was not always the fun way, right? And my mom, because she loved me, she cursed me at a very young age. She cursed me and she gave the mother's curse, which many of you know, which maybe you've given to your children already. And you say, I pray that your children will be just like you. And the curse has come true. It has come very true. And I have children that try my patience and test me on a regular daily basis. And uh, I have one especially who I will not mention, but her name rhymes with Sadie. And, um, oh my gosh, that child has the hardest head. She is more stubborn than any person I've ever met in my life. And it's because of my mother's curse. And um, I'm praying against her now. But... Um, but but I can be very, very hard-headed. And same, the same with uh, you and I, as God oftentimes, again, he allows roadblocks and ridges, things to remind us. And so what, what I, 
I want us to do is to be more sensitive to the voice of God when they're just the ridges, right? Instead of the ditches. And it's a lot better when they're ridges versus ditches. And the voice of God sometimes is very still and very small. And God, God may be, it, it's so, so much so that you've just ignored it so much that it's so faint. You've ignored the voice of God so faint that it's almost non-existent. And I would encourage you to kind of stop and go, God, I have been ignoring you. I'm not even hearing you. I, I can go off track and not even care anymore. And if you're at that place, that's a dangerous place to be. Because what you're about to hit, because God loves you, if you're in that situation, you're about to hit a, to a roadblock, like not a ditch, but you're about to hit a concrete barrier. Okay? And sometimes when people get that way in their life, they go, God, I'll just, I'm kind of doing my own thing. And I'm not going to listen to you anymore. They don't just hit ditches. They hit concrete barriers. And they find their life utterly in chaos. They find themselves in the midst of a divorce. They find themselves in the midst of illness. They find themselves in the midst of being fired from a job because of their, not just their performance, because of their character and their morality. And people's lives get shaken up. So listen, listen to the ridges. Um, listen to what 1 Peter 5, 6-7 says. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God and in His good time, He will honor you. Give all your worries and cares to God for He cares about what happens to you so that we humble ourselves to Him. We humble ourselves and make ourselves um, available to, to hear those voices. John 10.10 10 says that the, purpose, that the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give life in all its fullness. Jesus said... Uh, my purpose for your life, to redirect you, is that I would give you the fullest life. But Satan, the, the evil one, the thief, comes to redirect us and get us off route to kill us and destroy us. Um, what roadblocks are you facing right now? What ridges maybe are you hearing in your life? Are there some things, some patterns in your life that you've gone maybe too far with? Um, maybe some things maybe you're, that you're doing just a little too much of. And you need to get rerouted back to the center of Christ. The second thing we do is we need to get help from a gospel community. Look at what happens in the, in the following verses. Verse 10 says, In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with the authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Interesting that God uses people to help restore 
Saul. Saul needed some help. He was blind and he was helpless. And God chose the church of Damascus, the people who he had come to hurt, to be the very people that helped him. Pretty interesting, huh? Paul had enemies, and his enemies were Christians. And the Christians became the very people who helped him because he was helpless. It's so cool how uh, the picture of the scales over his eyes, I love just the symbolism in that. That Paul, in, in being off route and being in sin and, and denying Jesus as Lord and Savior, he literally had blinders over his eyes that he could not see the truth of the gospel. Oftentimes, this is so true of us. We cannot see the truth of the gospel. We forget what the gospel really means. And, and we get off center. We don't live gospel-centered lives because we falsely believe the gospel. We begin to add things to the gospel like, uh, yes, I need to, I'm glad Jesus saved me, but I need to really work hard to, to be good for God. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves in a performance issue. Or now, it's, I know God saved me, but I just, I'm such a terrible person. So we find ourselves in a defeatist attitude, right? Or maybe we go, I, I know the gospel is good, but for me, it's just not that important right now. And we just don't apply it to our life. So we falsely um, deny the power, the very power of the gospel, which is the gospel itself in our lives. And we become powerless people. And so when, when God intervenes in our life, we become people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, which if you're a believer, you are. You have the power to, God has the, the power to remove those scales from our eyes and have us clearly see his path in the gospel. And that's my prayer for us today is that we begin, God will begin to remove any kind of distortion in our eyes, distortion of truth in our heads, that we might clearly see the gospel to find it and, and, and begin a, a, a route that is directly towards him. It, it's, it's so cool how he uses, again, the church. He, he became a powerless person. He lost all control. And maybe you're a person who struggles with control issues. And you go, I have an issue of control. And, and really, an issue with control is you're not believing the gospel. You're not living gospel-centered. Because an issue of control is, is that you're finding your security in controlling the, surrounding, the, the, the issues and the situations around you. Correct? And that's your security. If I can control everything, then I feel more secure. And the reality is that's a very false sense of security. Um, because we know in the gospel that, the, that only God is, is truly secure. And we can believe that and know that, that God is ultimately in control because we look at Jesus on the cross and we look at the gospel. Jesus was given to men, angry men, who wanted to kill him. He was beaten. He was tortured. Yet God was in control. He was nailed to a cross, yet God was in control. He was spat on and cursed at and humiliated, yet God was in control. Jesus himself even cried out to, to the Father and said, said, Lord, he said, Father, why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me? And even in that moment, God was in control. And so we know that in the gospel, we can have faith and hope that he is in control. But let me encourage you something. That what we need to do is release that control and allow others to help us. You see, the, the, the very thing that Paul came to destroy were the very people that helped him. 
These are people that pulled around him and said, hey, we're going to help you. We're going to give you food. We're going to give you shelter and protection. And he came and prayed over him, prayed healing over him. And so for us, we need to connect with others in a gospel community in order to live gospel-centered lives, in order to reorient our lives. But oftentimes what we do is we want to isolate ourselves and say, I'll deal with my problems on my own. Did you know that is a tactic of the devil? That is a huge strategy that the enemy has. Because if you're alone, you're more vulnerable. You know that to be true. You know it to be true. Yet our tendency as human beings is to isolate ourselves in our sin, isolate ourselves as we begin to turn off route, off from living gospel-centered lives, and begin to say, I'll just deal with it myself, when the reality is, is God didn't design us that way. He designed us that we need each other to connect with each other, to, to, to build each other up, to encourage each other to walk in gospel-centered lives, that we might share each other's needs and struggles each other. Um, in the news this week, I was reading uh, a, a famous author, a Christian author. His name is Donald Miller. He wrote a book called Blue Like Jazz that was pretty famous. And I, I really like his books. Incredible author. This week, he put a post out that just got a huge, massive response. Talking, and he basically said, he said, I don't go to church anymore. I've given up on going to church. Here's a prominent Christian author saying he'd given up on going to church. And in his statement, he basically said it just wasn't, just wasn't doing anything for him anymore. It just didn't seem important anymore. Uh, very sadly, Donald Miller has forgot to read the Bible. Maybe he's read his books too much and not the Bible. Hebrews 10.25 says this, And let us not neglect our meeting together. This is believers meeting together. As some people do, like Donald Miller. But encourage and warn each other. Encourage and listen, warn. Encourage and warn. You see, what Donald Miller so falsely is forgetting that the most important thing for his walk is not that he just attend a service. That's not what church is about. And maybe he went to a church where attending the church was the most valuable thing, which is very false. That's not what the church is, is it? We say it all the time in this church. Church is not about a Sunday attendance. If you just attend on Sunday... That doesn't mean you belong to a church. That's not called church just because you come to this service. The church is the people of God on mission for God, right? And so if if he is not in community with others, on mission with God, and in community so much so that he's sharing his life and doing life together and encouraging others, then he's he's not doing church. He's not going to church if he's not doing that. And he doesn't need to attend a service necessarily to always do that. And maybe that's, maybe that's his, his issue, but it seemed to me that he just falsely believed that just going to church was an attending deal. And going to church is not an attending deal. It's being a part of the body of believers that we might encourage, which we're better at, right? We're good at encouraging each other. And I would say that's more my gift. I like to encourage people. But warning people is a little more difficult. Hey, buddy, I love you, but watch out. I see a pattern in your life that's not good. I see you working too much. I see you spending too much time doing this. I see you on Facebook all the time. Get off that junk. Go spend time with your family. Right? Or maybe, maybe it's like, I see you on your cell phone all the time. Would you just put it down and look up and spend time with your wife? You know, maybe it's just warning. We see, we don't like to warn each other. But the Bible says we meet together to warn each other. 
and also to encourage, right? We like to encourage, but we also need to warn. Why? Because the enemy is powerful and he's uh, conniving and he's strategic and he wants to isolate us and get us. But we need to connect with others, a gospel community, so that we can depend on God and get back on route with him. The next thing is this. Uh, we need to, after we find ourselves off route, we need to get up and go. If we find ourselves at a roadblock, we need to get up and go. Here's what I mean. We don't need to waste time mulling around over our sin. We need to get back in the game and follow him and get on mission with him. Acts 9, 21. Listen to what happens with Saul. Here's what he does. He doesn't sit around and mull around and, and talk about what a bad person he was. Look what he did. So Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. So just a few days. Verse 20. At once... At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Wait, wait, wait a minute. Here's a guy who came to Damascus to destroy the Christians. Right? And now he is preaching the very opposite thing that he believed. Now he's publicly preaching. Wait, didn't he just become a Christian? Wasn't it just like three or four days ago? That he saw Jesus and decided, hey, you know what? I'm going the wrong way and I'm going to reroute my life. My life, And now he's preaching in the synagogues. He didn't go to seminary. He didn't wait and go to church for a while and attend church for a while. He didn't wait to go to a Bible study or go to an evangelism explosion class or something to help him learn how to share the gospel. He didn't do any of that. Look at what he did. At once, he immediately began proclaiming the gospel in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Verse 21. All of those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. How cool is that? How cool is that? Then immediately, he didn't waste time. So many times when you find yourself off route, people begin to do things like this. Man, I've really messed up. And so sometimes we'll just sit and sulk over how bad we've been. I mean, I really shouldn't have done that. I just, ugh, just messes me up. I have no right in talking to people about Jesus. I have no right. I have no right even going to church. I mean, I just, I messed up so bad. I mean, those people in the church, they're going to reject me. I'll look like a hypocrite going to that church. If, I mean, if people find out I even went to church after what I did, they'll just, man, they'll laugh at me. When you look at the life of Paul, that sounds pretty foolish, doesn't it? Here's a guy who was, I mean, he was killing Christians, all right? That's a pretty bad sin, right? Not that there's a, a scale necessarily, but that's a pretty big one in God's eyes, right? Killing Christians. And so he was killing Christians one day, and the next day he's proclaiming the gospel. Some of us should kind of rethink Man, maybe I shouldn't feel so bad going to church after what I just did, and maybe I should, maybe I should share the gospel with people after what I just did. Absolutely, why? Because in the gospel, you forget the gospel that you're clean. It's interesting when he had an encounter with Jesus. What Jesus said to him, and Jesus might have said more. I don't know what happened necessarily, but the scriptures record a few, just a few things that Jesus said. And what's really important is what Jesus did not say to him. Listen to what Jesus did say. This is all that we know. He said, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. 
Now, get up and go into the city and you will be told what you are to do. Did you hear condemnation in that? Did you hear, it's over for you, Paul. I reject you for how mean you've been. Do you hear that? How dare you show up to church? Do you hear that? How dare you talk about Jesus? You've been so bad. No. What does he say? Get up and go. Get up and go. Don't let the consequences of sin or the offer out of sin, how far, it doesn't matter how far off route you've been, mess you up from coming back to the truth of the gospel, which is that you are free in Christ, you are faultless in Christ, that you are forgiven in Christ, that you are blameless in Christ, that no matter how far off route you've been, that the truth of the gospel and faith in Him is that you are clean and that God sees you as a perfect child of His because He sees you covered with the blood of Jesus, the very sacrifice that His Son gave for you. That's the truth of the gospel. So we need to, some of us need to kind of jump back in and get back on track and realize, hey, I've just been messing around or mulling around and kind of complaining and being self-wallowing and having some pity for myself. And I need to jump in and be a mission for Him and be confident of the power of God in my life. Be confident of the love of God in my life. Many Christians are not confident of how much God loves them. We kind of teeter. I'm not sure how much God loves me. Sometimes I feel like He loves me. Sometimes I'm not. Right now, I just, man, I know I haven't done what I'm supposed to be doing. I just don't feel like God loves me. That's junk. That's crap. It's garbage. He's already paid the price for you. Here's Paul, the worst sinner known to man. He's been killing Christians. The next day, he's preaching. The next day, he's preaching. David did the same thing. He, King David, when he went far from God, chose to dishonor God. He chose to cheat on his wife and take another man's wife, became adulterous, had an adulterous affair, and then had the husband of that wife murdered, right? God intervened and something major happened in his life and God said, your son's going to die. And his son did. He died. Major roadblock, major pain. Here's what Paul, or here's what David prayed to God. He said, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew us a right spirit within me. Restore to me again the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. There's so much truth in that. When we sin, we just need to come to the place we find ourselves off route. We go, God, just create in me a clean heart. Restore the joy of my salvation. And I love what he said. He didn't say, make me obey. He said, make me willing to obey. Make me want to obey you because of the truth of salvation and the joy of salvation in, in Christ. Make me want to obey you. 1 John 1, 9 says, We confess our sins to Him. He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from every wrong. So He cleanses us completely. There's no, there's no hanging around. There's no dirty laundry. Number four is this. Be prepared to face resistance. Be prepared to face resistance. Let me show you what I mean. Verse 23. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. To kill who? Paul. The Jews. Paul was the Jews' right-hand man. He was their muscle. He was the guy who was kind of taking the heat for going out and getting and capturing the Christians. The Jews, the government would say, hey, you go out and you go get all these bad Christians. Right? So he's kind of the muscle. 
And now the Jews are conspiring to kill him. The, the hunter has become the hunted, right? And so all of a sudden, the old way of life is attacking back, saying, no, you're not going to do this. The next verse, listen to this, verse 24. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. There again, the believers connected to a gospel community, the Christian Satan, the very people he was trying to kill, were rescuing him and protecting him from others who wanted to kill him. And they put him in a basket, trapped him down through the wall of the city. Pretty crazy. Verse 26. But when he came to Jerusalem, new city, he tried to join the disciples there. He had been in Damascus, remember? But they were all afraid of him not believing that he was really a disciple. A couple different things. The, the, the forces will come against you. You will have resistance when you recalculate your route in two ways. Number one, um, you will have a pattern of your old life will fight you back because when we begin to make a pattern in our life, a habit of sin, we create ruts in the road. We, like this week, it had snowed, obviously, and I liked driving in the snow. I have a little Subaru, and it's four-wheel drive. And it was fun. I was spinning around out in the yard and doing donuts. But I said, I'm going to take off and drive. And nobody had even driven on my road. And so I started driving on the road. But there became these ruts of snow. And I began, and you could tell, you just kind of almost slip back and forth inside those ruts. And to get out of the ruts, you know, you kind of, it's kind of a jump out of the rut. It's difficult. Your car kind of wants to maneuver within those patterns you've already been in. It's the same thing with our heart and with our mind. Our mind creates patterns. We have this, if we have a thought that is not true and centered in the gospel, we begin this pattern, don't we? And we kind of just kind of stick on it. And once we try to get off, that pattern is pulling us back, saying, come back, isn't it? That habit is saying, come back to me. That addiction is saying, come back and try me again. It was good when you were here. Right? And so we're, we're finding ourselves kind of being pulled. Maybe you were isolating yourself or trying to control the situations in your life and you gave up control and you began to, and you got in a community group and you began to share your problems and it didn't just go quite as well as you wanted it to. So you go, I'm just going to jump back into my isolation zone. It didn't go quite as good as I had hoped. So I'm just going to kind of jump back and isolate myself because that's that pull of that pattern back in your life. So we see that. The second pattern we see, though, is that sometimes the pull comes from those who you would least expect it. The, very, the believers who he had found support in, in Damascus, now he's going to go to Jerusalem, and they're still trying to kill him, remember? And now he's going to the headquarters where they live, and they're trying to kill him. He goes to Jerusalem, and he goes to try to find some support, and guess what happens? He doesn't get it. The people who are believers, they don't believe him. You're lying. I don't believe you. Oftentimes, the, you're... The people, people in your life who are closest to you, even Christians, will kind of give you some resistance when you change patterns in your life. For example, maybe you lived a pretty rough life. Maybe you were an alcoholic or a druggie or something difficult or, or a sex addict or something like that. And you had some people who were close to you and, and you really hurt them and now you're trying to get back to them. And they're like, no, 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 you've, you've hurt me. I don't want anything to do with you. People will hurt you. Maybe you have a spouse who you've been convicted of a sin and you're like, man, I, I really need to get our finances in order. 
We need to be more generous. We need to be more giving. We need to honor God and give God in our finances. And you go to your husband or you go to your wife and you need to say, we need to redo our budget and put God in our budget because it's his anyway. Put God in our budget and your spouse says, I'm not going to allow that. There's no way. You're crazy. And there's no way. We need this money. We got bills to pay. You know, we, how, how are we going to eat and pay for the things that we want and we need if we're giving our money to the church or to God? And so you might find resistance there, right? Or maybe it's, you know, you, you come in and you're like, you know what, we're not going to watch this show anymore as a family. Because this show is, is not honoring to God. And all the kids and the spouse, they all rage and like, wow, this is, you know, we love this show. There's nothing wrong with it. And you're like, you know what? I know that you, you might not think that, but this show isn't honoring to God. You might find resistance right in your home, Right? And our tendency is to just go, well, everybody's resisting. Let's just jump back in and jump. Let's, ah, that's fine then. You, I just won't watch it. You guys go watch. I just, I just won't watch it. Don't let the pull back. Don't let the pull. Don't let that, that draw mess with you. Be, be, be forceful. Be willing to obey God and be confident in Him. And say, no, this is what God has called us to do. We're going to reorient our life, and our family's going to get back on track. We're going to spend time with Jesus. We're going to do the right things. We're going to watch the right shows, and we're going to get back and honor God, and we're going to live gospel-centered lives and be back on track with Him. Um, look at verse 27, though, what happens. But Barnabas, now Barnabas is interesting. If you, if you know your scriptures, he's a guy who gets chosen to be a disciple, and his name means encourager because he's Barnabas Barney, the purple dinosaur. That's who he is, and he loves everybody. And so Barnabas, the encourager, he's the one guy, the one guy who takes Paul in. He says he, Paul, Barnabas took him in, brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord, and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. There might be some who reject you, but there will be some who will encourage you I hope that we would be a church that would encourage each other to walk gospel-centered lives. The last thing is this. We close with this. Is that a gospel-centered life radiates into, the, into those around you. When you reorient your, your life and you put yourself in the center with a gospel-centered life, what you'll notice is it'll begin to radiate to your family, to your coworkers, and things will begin to change. And listen to what happens to Saul in his situation. Verse 31 Then the church throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. Here's what's so cool about this scenario. This passage is a completion, a fulfillment, a partial fulfillment of Acts 1.8. Do you remember what Jesus said? We said at the very beginning of the series, Jesus in Acts 1.8 said, he said, so when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now listen to what this says. This is the gospel is being poured out in both Jerusalem, Judea, and Galilee, which included Samaria. The very fulfillment of what, it, what Jesus has said, what happened. It didn't happen without difficulty. But it happened because people began to say, hey, I'm, Paul began to say, hey, listen, I'm going to put my heart on mission with him. I'm going to live a gospel-centered life. I'm going to reorient myself. 
for you, how is God trying to reorient your life right now? Are there some ridges in your thoughts? Are there some ridges in your prayer life where God's been saying, you know what, you really should be here, but you know you're here. I would encourage you to recalculate, to U-turn when it's legally possible, to get back on track and say, God, I'm going to follow you in this area of my life. I know I've been off, but I want you to follow you in this area of my life because I want to be a mission for you as people of God who are called to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to be a mission with Him. Maybe you haven't been on mission with Him. Maybe that's the very thing that God's calling you to do. Is that maybe you've lived a good Christian life. You've done the right things. But unlike Paul, you've said, I'm just going to kind of isolate myself and not share the gospel. I would encourage you, there is no sin you've committed that has knocked you out of the game. Paul was killing people, killing Christians. And just a few days later, he was preaching the gospel. Why? Because the truth of the gospel reminds us that we're free and faultless in him. And other people need to hear that. There's a dying world, a world who's turning to themselves, to false religions, to humanism, to theism, to all kind of crazy stuff, to say that's where my fulfillment is. And at the end of their life, they're going to find that they're going to have to stand before a God who loves them and who will judge them accordingly to how they've lived and to who they've believed in and who they've put their trust in. And so if you and I would get to the place where we would say, no, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be on mission with God and I'm going to serve him and I'm going to reorient my life to share the gospel and be in track with others. Maybe you're here and you just, you weren't a Christian. You're not following God. You never knew that God accepted you exactly where you are. Jesus accepted Paul exactly where he was, but he stopped him in his tracks. Maybe God needs to stop you. Maybe God is stopping you right now. Maybe you don't believe in him. But God is stopping you right now and giving you the chance to say, hey, you could follow me and have the greatest life you could ever have, a full life, forgiveness, freedom in me. If you just would accept the truth that Jesus is is who he says he was, the very son of God and died for the sake of you. And if you would believe that, you can know him. And you would stand before God on judgment day and he would go, you're my son, you're my daughter, I love you. You're covered with the blood of Jesus. Come spend eternity with me. I want that for you. If that's you, you need to turn your life over to Jesus today. We all need to reorient in some area of our life back towards him. What would that be for you? Let's pray. God, I know that all of us have issues where we're just off track. And God, I pray that you would bring to mind and bring to to light the areas of our life where you're calling us back to live a gospel-centered life. Whatever that would be, Lord, I, I pray that in this moment you would give us the courage. You wouldn't make us obey, God, but you would give us the courage and the willingness to obey. Lord, we confess it to you. We confess that we have uh, been off track, that we've lost our way. Father, we're so thankful that Jesus found the way for us, that he would love us enough to die for us. We love you. We thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.